Right. I, I wasn't going to say this, but Michelle insisted this morning at breakfast. I realise what a privilege it is for you all to be here with me today. And the really first time I said that back in 2013, the room kind of went quiet and people thought about it and looked at me. Then they realised I just insulted them all. And it was quite good. There are going to be some differences today, as you can see. We're going to be doing it working from a manual. There's various reasons for that. Um, but with my recent chemical escapades, I figured that trying to work from slides might be a bit difficult because um, I lose my, my thread. So I'm not going to sit here and read this out verbatim, although I could because it's really quite good. Um, I had to put this together. It took me ages to put together. It, did, it was a real long slog. Loads and loads of work went into this. It's worth every penny that you're paying for the DVDs. Um, this alone is a game changer. Take you to the next level. <laughs> Enough of that. Um, I was just talking about you again, Sam. That's brilliant. <laughs> I do believe you're blushing. She's, she's blushing, isn't she? Thanks. Sam, I can't reach the water there, Don. <laughs> no, I get it, you're right. <laughs> she's she's going to throw it at me now. Thank you. This is Sam. If you ever want, by the way, if you ever come into these events and you, you want a room and stuff and it's not going through me, Sam's the girl to speak to because the rest are differently useful sometimes. <laughs> I said they're differently useful, not that they're useless. Thanks, Sam. Um, and it, what I'm going to be doing is, well, let's go through the rules first. Then I'll make some more. Small print, yeah, we've done that. We've not actually, but... Right, it's my room, my rules. I swear, I mean, you all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway for the benefit of Alex and people at, uh, at home watching these expensively produced DVDs, even though he's not putting his prices up. Um, my room, my rules, I swear, unpopular opinions, off-colour jokes, probably sexist, racist, homophobic, all the rest of it. Um, and if you're offended by them, you can just fuck off. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Um, we had a little boy here, 2014, came with his dad. And he said, can I bring my lad? I said, well, you can. But um, just bear in mind, I'm not moderating my language or anything else. He said, that's fine. So we, I think we're in the room behind. And uh, he sat there at the front, little Finley. And he's writing away. He was a lovely little chap. And he says... Uh, I said, are you taking notes, Finley? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just said, C-U-N-T. <laughs> and everybody fucking cracked up. And he's sitting there writing it down. <laughs> he, never, he never came again. So, yeah, my room, my rules. I mean, no one is going to complain about that, I don't think. Might kind of damage Alex's machinery, but, you know, kind of burn the mics out and stuff. Um, same as Elite, you turn your phones, tablets and notebooks and laptops off. Not on the table, Michelle. If they buzz or make a sound, if this, not, if this is not the best use of your time, <laughs> it will be on your head and you're round in the bar. So do bear that in mind. We still owe Jeremy Corbyn £100 each. You realise that, don't you? All right. um, so if you want to take notes, you can. In this very manual, very expensively produced. Spent weeks working on it. Because you've got note pages there. Um, Michelle's using special coloured pens that I gave to her. <laughs> because she was crying at 
breakfast because she didn't have a coloured pen. She couldn't get them at Gatwick. So I, out of the goodness of my heart, I lent her them. Lent. <laughs> Mine. Um, no opinions unless I ask for them. Opinions are like penises. It's okay to have one, but mine's the only one that counts in this room. So I say you don't wave it around. Anyone's going to be waving penises in this room, it'll be me. <laughs> On the camera. <laughs> Save your questions when I ask for them, which I'll do periodically. It's, again, it's not really like to happen, but I know at some boot camps I've done, some of the attendees just have to put their hand up and ask questions. It's really fucking annoying. I'm not going to name any names because it's being recorded, but um, it's, oh, it's just people who don't have to do any work anyway. And well, they've always got these stupid fucking questions about emails and things. Why did you, why is, why did you put the full stop there? Uh, is that some kind of secret NLP ninja trick? No. I just happened to hit the key. Um, chaperones, it's unlikely to happen. didn't happen last night, though. I know you think it did, but it didn't. Um, if I, if I go into a, like a panic attack in the bar or something, it won't happen in this room. Uh, just ask Michelle or Kat to, if, they're, if they're not with one of them, just go and grab one of them. Because they know how to deal with it. It's not like that happened. I'm a lot better now. Yeah, I'm not as special as I was. Did, it, did you all hear about me and the, um, the clonazepam? Did everybody hear that? No? Oh, you did? Are you going to tell them again? Probably, yeah. Just in case you've not heard it, because these have not heard it at home. Um, <laughs> I, I was having trouble sleeping, so I said to the doc, as well as the escatilopram, could you give me something to help me sleep? He says, yeah, just give me these pills. And I thought they were sleeping pills, because that's what you expect. So I took one, didn't feel anything. Next night I took two, then three. So then I'm taking four of these fucking things, clazepam. Well, it only turns out they're extremely strong psychotropic drugs. I was away with the fairies for about 10 days. I was walking up roads that I've cycled and driven down and walked down hundreds of times, literally. And I said to Sarah, you know, I've got no idea where we are. <laughs> and I was FaceTiming um, Sherlock a few times because she's my uh, elite buddy. And I've got no recollection of what those conversations are about, but she just giggles when I talk about it because I'm sure she can remember. I was away with the fairies, it was great. And four times over the dose on this extremely strong drug. And when I went back to get the prescription filled again. The doc says, you had them already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You didn't think to say why or how have you managed to do that? And you were driving as well. Mm. Anyway, so they're my chaperones and you will have fun. While I'm, well, it sounds like it, doesn't it? While, uh, while it, the rubles might sound a bit draconian, um, they're there for a reason, but have a lot of fun. My events and meetings are, are legendary for the fun we have. Well, you're all an elite apart from you. You're not welcome. You all, you all know how much fun we have. We have fun, don't we, everyone? Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah, I did. I told you to stop laughing because it was confusing me. Right, so that's the rules. Um, any questions before we start? No, good. Well, what we're going to be talking about today, um, Vicky's phrase is going to be doing a little spot tomorrow on how to write a book because she's got a book coaching thing, which if you've not done it with her, it's probably worth doing. I don't bother. I don't need to, but... Um, if you've not read the book already, well, I think everybody has in this room, so it's probably going to be moot. Um, but she can use the recordings for her own purposes. But she's doing a spot tomorrow. But other than that, there are five sessions we've got on fundamentals, premium pricing, and tomorrow we do premium positioning. Now, it's quite funny because I think the reason this, this seminar isn't as busy as it could be, or should be, I think there are two reasons. One, it's a pretty shit time of year. Well, three, actually. Pretty shit time of year to be doing it because even a load of the elites are away on holiday and stuff. 
second reason is I didn't really market it very well because I was <laughs> drugged up to the eyeballs for a long period of time. And I think the third reason is it's not a very, they're not very sexy subjects. Everybody wants to do Facebook advertising um, uh, or, yeah, Facebook advertising, social media marketing. Um, not so much Google AdWords these days, but you know, they want the newfangled to Periscope, Instagram. You've got all kinds of video wankers on Instagram claiming it to be the best thing ever. And it just fucking isn't. And I'm not saying that nobody ever makes any money with it, but I'm sure they do. But you know, to think of, of Facebook and stuff as being the panacea uh, is a big mistake. As Dan Kennedy said in March, who, who wasn't there? You weren't there, were you? Um, nor was Ashley and Ed, Drew. You didn't go either, did you? Dan Kennedy was saying in, um, in, in, and he's quite right, in March that if you're on I mean, if you're, if you're getting leads from a single source, it's pretty stupid. And people think, well, okay, I'm on, I'm on Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the rest of it. And they're different mediums, or different media, but they're not. They're different platforms, but it's the same media. Your data pipe into your house. And if that goes, you lost the lot. And Facebook and, and the rest of them, they are becoming more like each other. They have to because of the FTC rules. Um, so you see businesses, they're, they're focusing and putting all their energy into the online stuff and these popular uh, platforms. And the mistakes they're making is, is one, it, it's, they're very, very, um, they're in a per perilously fragile position because if they can lose those platforms, they lose everything. And two, because everybody's there. That's where everybody goes. They are focusing on the tactic of online advertising when they should be looking at the fundamental principles, which is what we're talking about now. Positioning and premium pricing are very unsexy. I think they're really exciting because there's so much you could do and there's, there's a lot of fun you can have. Because part of the positioning that I do is just my personality. And you think I get paid quite a bit of money just to kind of stand in front of people and swear. You know, the only people like Mike Reed and, um, what's his name? The fat bloke is dead. Oh, oh Bernard Manning. Bernard Manning. Can, uh, can get away with that kind of thing. Not being dead, obviously, because <laughs> we all get away with being dead in the end. Um, so that's why, why I've done this, because it is the most important thing. All the rest of it, and people don't seem to understand that once you get your positioning and everything else right, everything else falls into place, and the pricing right, everything falls into place. But if you don't have them right, there's no point in doing lead generation. It's dead anyway, but there's no point in doing lead generation, because... Uh, you, you don't know who you're selling to, you don't know what you're selling, and you're not selling in the right way. So, that's what we're going to be doing for the next two days. And for you people at home, with your very expensive, highly edited uh, DVDs, that's what you're going to be listening to for the next ten and a half hours plus an hour and a half of Vicky Fraser. So we're going to start with, what I've done, I've kind of taken a, a leaf out of Dan's book, if you like, and I've distilled these down into some 19 principles, I think it is. Um, the principles today and the different principles tomorrow for uh, um, premium pricing and, and positioning. Now, the first one, we could talk about fundamentals. The first is, is your ignorance is deadly. People say ignorance is bliss, but well, it ain't because it then creeps up and kills you. Um, and what, what we need to be thinking of is what, what fundamentals can we focus on that make businesses successful? before we even get into positioning and pricing. And the first one is thinking about what makes businesses unsuccessful. And the first is, is numbers. Um, there was a lady who joined the Inner Circle some years ago. And <laughs> she was a bookkeeper. And she had this really good idea. She, she was going to 
take money, if she should take fees from people to teach them, people who've got no money because they're in financial problems, having financial problems. She's going to take money from them to coach them on how to spend their money more wisely. And I said to her, but you haven't got any money. They haven't got any money to spend on coaching you. And she said, oh, yeah. Didn't think of that. It's like people who want to sell to students. There's no point because students haven't got any money and they're all price buyers. There's no point. Um, and then she says, well, I'll, I'll rent up my bookkeeping services then. Now, I don't know much about bookkeeping, um, but I'm guessing it's a fairly skilled profession, isn't it? And she was going to charge £15 an hour. Well, you probably get that work in the pub these days. The point being, her business was not economically viable. The numbers didn't add up. Um, and there's a lot of businesses out there that are like that. And no amount of marketing and, and clever stuff will let you market your way out of an economically unviable business, which is why people need to put their prices up. Now, there are businesses out there that are doing deals and selling stuff at a loss and don't even realise it. And Vicky's, one of the Vicky things that Vicky said to me is you need to focus on your numbers, which is true. But look, I mean, luckily, my numbers, are the disparity between my, my cost and my revenues are so big, it doesn't matter that I've not focused too much on it. But some businesses are operating on very thin margins indeed, and they, they're not making any money at all. But they, were, they think that with all this, this net floating around, all this turnover, there must be some profit in there, and there isn't. This is why a lot of um, big firms go bust. It's why Woolies went bust. Because you think about Woolworths, they had a massive staff bill. So to them, cash flow was absolutely vital. And there's actually no low-cost provider out there that I can think of that has done it sustainably for many years. They all go under in the end. Um, one exception I can think of is Ryanair. But the thing is with Ryanair, they are so tight on their margins and, and their costs, and they've got loads of ancillary things as well that they sell. Otherwise, they couldn't sustain it. I love um, what's his name, O'Leary. He's a bit of an asshole, but he's a, I love him. He's great. The way he's made money from that business. Um, so that's the first thing. You, you can't market your way out of an un uh, economically unviable business. The second thing is doing what you love and hoping the money comes is doomed to failure. And I see this all the times with, with, <laughs> with people, <laughs> book reviews and things like that, um, that no one's ever going to want to buy. You, know, you might enjoy doing it, but no one's going to enjoy buying those things or want to. Um, people have this idea that if they, if they do what they love, the money will come in. It just doesn't work like that. It's not that kind of party. I think you should love what you do. If you don't, it's pretty sad because you end up being miserable. So by all means, do something that you do love. But you know, to, to have a, a hobby and a, and a passion and say, well, I'm going to make money at that is, with a rare exception, it doesn't work out that way. So these are all things that make businesses unsuccessful. Copying your competitors like, is like blind leading the blind as well. Um, one of the, again, another problem I see with businesses is they, they get their marketing education and their operations and stuff by looking at other businesses in the same niche because that's the way it's done. Um, and I made that mistake myself when I first became a copywriter. I, I, I actually <laughs> remember with some shame saying to Sarah um, about this graphic design. Well, he's been in business for 10 years. He must know something about it. Well, of course, he didn't really. Not about business. He knew about graphic design, but he wasn't a businessman really. So he went to BNI, so I went to BNI. And I think we'll leave that one there, shall we? <laughs> didn't go, didn't stay, stay there for long. 
It was appalling, I tell you. It was appalling. Because the, most people are stupid anyway, but the kind of people who were going to bed and I were really fucking stupid. And you think, how do they get out of bed in the morning and not trip over their own feet? Um, the thing is, with copying, it's normal. But normal is also, because everybody does it, but normal is 80% um, of businesses going out of business in the first five years. And it all comes down to marketing. I mean, I know I said a few minutes ago, if you've got an uneconomically, in, uh, a economically unviable business, you can't market your way out of it. That's true. But if it is economically viable, marketing will fix it. And marketing, good marketing, rests very firmly on the foundations of what we can talk about now, and also premium pricing and premium positioning. I hope my flies done up. <laughs> yes. Um, so what makes businesses successful? Well, you can't expect different results by repeating past behaviour. If your business is doing okay now, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting, all of the things being equal. Um, yeah, you can win the lottery, you can have your, your father die unexpectedly and leave you a wedge of cash, which happened to me. Um, but for the most part, you just keep repeating the same behaviour, you get the same thing. It, it, does, it does amaze me, the number of people who say join the inner circle, um, and in the past have joined Elite, and they learn all this stuff and they get all this motivation and, and arse kicking in the hot seats, but they don't actually do anything different. I mean, classic examples of where that doesn't happen is like Drew. Drew and Terry get on the phone with me, they ask me a question, what should we do? I tell them, and then they go and do it. Yeah? And it's worked for, what, three, four years? Michelle used to be the same, but now she questions it all. <laughs> now she's the lady what lunches, she does nothing. Dom's the same. Dom's the same. Dom, <laughs> he's the lady what lunches, yeah. <laughs> but he what, no, they, what do they call it in Sunderland? Grub or something? Grub. 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 <laughs> He's a, he's a lady what grubs. But Dom's the same. He, he basically, when I tell him to do something, he will do it. Zip. Um, <laughs> it'll really improve your business, mate, I'm telling you. Um, and it's funny, because I've been reading Dom's emails recently, and they are the echoes of EB Genius in there. I'm sure you copy some of mine. <laughs> it's fine, because um, I know someone else who does that, shamelessly, cat. Cat, Andrew, <laughs> I actually had someone, uh, probably a year or two ago now, email me and say, look at this page, do you realise this bastard's ripping you off word for word? And it was his website. <laughs> and I says, well, yeah, he's in Elite, he's, he's allowed to. It wasn't word for word. Pretty much, <laughs> come on, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Well, it was quite funny. I says, yes, he's allowed to. So, yes, pe people who, who just do things differently. Um, when they're told to, like the people I just mentioned, um, they tend to make more money. Now, that's not to say that everything you should do everything differently from everyone else, because that's just stupid. Think about it first. Um, you can't expect to get different results from everyone else. Well, I've kind of just said about that. If other people are doing things and you copy them, you'll get pretty much the same results that they do. That's just why businesses all look the same. This is why people end up competing on price, because there's no other way to compete, because they're all doing the same thing. Um, we had a guy in the inner circle probably about three years ago now. I can't remember his name, John something or other. And he, he actually got a phone call from someone in the same industry. As him. I think he did a magazine or something. And this woman phoned him, was yelling down the phone and said, we don't do business like that in this, this town. Because he was doing something better than she was, better marketing, and she just didn't like it. She wanted them to be all the same. When I started 
uh, copywriting and I, I came back from my first Dan Kennedy thing, I put my prices up. And I had a phone call from uh, some bloke who fancied himself as being the, the senior copywriter in Suffolk. And he was saying, you can't charge that much, that's more than I charge. So what? Who the fuck are you anyway? <laughs> Stupid cunt. But yeah, he, was, he, f he went out of his way to phone me to complain because I was charging more than well, I've been doing this for 20 years, you're new on the scene. Yeah, and? Look, here's a dick, suck it. <laughs> Fucking hell. But that's what people are like. People will get like that. Um, that's what happened. Dan Kennedy calls it marketing incest, by the way. And everyone gets dumber and stupider as they and all look the same. Like, like in real incest. I remember when Holly was born, my oldest, um, although this was in Suffolk, not Norfolk, which is even worse. I swear this is true. <laughs> the mid we took her to the, the GP and the, the, the midwife there, or the resident midwife, kind of counted her fingers and toes and you know, pulled around and just made sure she was all there. And I swear this is true, and she says, it's nice to have a normal one for a change. <laughs> I thought, what must they be having with these fucking troglodytes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> special kids with one eye in the middle of the forehead. That was Suffolk for you. Um, I used to work the doors in Felixstowe. And Felix, because Felixstowe is like not really anywhere. It's, you, you don't go to Felixstowe. You either go through it or you just ignore it. So everyone's inbred there as well. And I used to work as a doorman at this nightclub and the fucking people walking through, they're going, mm -hmm. it was terrible. You know, who's got the chromosome this week? <laughs> terrible. So anyway, if you, you can't expect extraordinary results from ordinary behavior. Oh, I haven't said that yet. Yeah, if you want to do something different with your businesses and, and be wildly successful, um, charge the high prices. Um, you're dribbling again, Michelle. Uh, charge the high prices and, and, and stand out if you like really stand out, like say I do, or Dan Kennedy does, you've got to do things very differently. Because extraordinary businesses don't come from ordinary behaviour. I mean, that's, that follows. Look at, look at Dom, the, Dom the, the waves he's making in his industry. No one else in your industry is doing what you're doing. And I know you get hate mail, which you love, because you send it to me and go, look at this. <laughs> um, how did it feel the first time you got it? Um, but, uh, well, it's been happening for a while. I'm used with I've been used to it for quite a while now, and you've prepped me and said it, that, that it would happen. But I think it happened last year when, even when I did my book and I had the swear words in and people didn't like it, and I think that was when I, you said, well, what do they know about marketing, you know what I mean? They don't mm. know anything about um, I was tempted to be pulled to be normal, you know, to do what everybody else was doing, but uh, you shot snapping out of that. Yeah, that, that's a, did you hear what he just said? He was tempted to be pulled back into being normal. Well then you just be the same as every other dog walker out there. Yeah. So you've got to be, you've got to be very different. Um, and I mean really different, not like these graphic designers say we're doing ads that's different with penguins on it instead of anchovies or something. It's really different. And we'll come on to how you do that tomorrow. Uh, and if your business is viable, there are very few things you can't fix with basically raising your prices. Um, there's a butcher in my local town, and I was probably 10 years ago now, I did a bit of work with him. And all I told him to do was increase his prices. And he wouldn't do it at first, and I, he did in the end. Because his margins were so razor thin, an increase of 10%, you know, he increased his profits by a massive amount, about 90% or something. And he increased his prices, I said, well, take your top 20% of, of selling stuff that you sell the most of and increase the prices by 10% on that and see what happens. He had one query. Bloke came in and says, I'm not going to try and do the accent. Ed could probably do it. 
Um, he says, as, as the price, of, he's, this guy used to come in once a week to get a single pork chop. And he's lived on his own. And he says, has the price of pork gone up? And the bloke says, no. Oh, all right. Bought his pork chop and that was it. So he was leaving all that money behind. It's quite sad, really. So the secret to success is doing what others won't, not can't, but won't do. Because we can do all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you might get the phone calls and the hate mail um, and people saying, we don't do business like that around here. That's not how it's done. But that's just words. That's just their opinion. I don't know of any industries in this country or in the UK where you are constrained by law or regulation to what you can charge. I'm not aware, I'm just not saying there aren't any, but I'm not aware of any. I guess maybe somewhere in the, the health care there might be. don't know. And I know in California, I believe you're only allowed to charge a certain amount for a haircut. In which case, who'd be a fucking hairdresser in California? But for the most part, you can charge whatever you like. This is why you, I mean, there are some examples of premium pricing in this manual, but this is why you can, you get stereo leads for 25 grand, you know. And it, no one in their right mind would pay 25 grand for stereo leads, but you can buy them if you want them, and some people do. So, what was I just said? Yeah, doing the things that others won't do, not can't, but won't. And we'll come across a lot of this stuff in the next couple of days. And some of it's quite scary. I mean, everyone in this room is probably familiar with it all. Um, but there'll probably be some stuff here that will make you go, mm, can't do that. And certainly at home, you listeners at home, I guarantee you'll, you'll come up with ideas and re or rather reasons and excuses why this stuff won't work for you, why you shouldn't be doing it, why you can't do it. Um, and it's all bullshit. That's all they are, excuses. You'll convince yourself that you've got a real legitimate reason not to do any of this stuff. And they're all bullshit. Right, only three ways to grow your business. Sell to more people, or get more customers, basically. Sell more stuff to the customers you've already got and new customers, or sell at higher prices. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, selling to more people is obvious. That's what everybody does. That's why everyone's advertising looking for new customers. But what people make the mistake of doing is, is they say we want more business, and they think that as being synonymous with we need more customers. They do need more business, but the easiest business you'll ever get is the business that you've already got, as in selling to the people that are already there. But getting new customers is obvious. That's why people are advertising on Facebook instead of following it with their lists. Um, the number of people, who was it? F Phil. It took me a while to batter it into him because he was obsessed with Facebook advertising. So was Ben, the web guy. And I had to, you know, it was really hard work getting these people to realise that the customers they've already got are sources of referrals, sources of, of more sales they can make, etc., etc. Um, so it's obvious, and it's the, it's the first and only thing most people try to do. You know, business exists, uh, it, it's amazing, they exist on a, a, f a flow of leads coming in, sell once, let these people disappear into the, the sunset. Not realising that if you look upon lead generation, which is dead, if you look upon it as being, um, some people call it buying customers, I prefer to call it investing in relationships with customers, which is a more accurate way of doing it. Um, but they don't do that at all. They just sell off the page, one sale, let people go. Um, it's simple, but not easy, because anyone can go onto Google, set up an account, start advertising. Anyone can go to Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Periscope. Is that still around, Periscope? Or has it died a death? But anyone, anyone can go into that, and it doesn't cost you a single penny until someone clicks. So 
you know, that's, that's the attraction of it. That's the, it's, it's so simple. It's not easy, of course, because once you've got the click, then you've got to convert them to a lead and then a sale, which isn't easy. Um, and often to the point where you are sinking quite a lot of money into getting these leads and then trying to sell to them. Um, without mentioning names, one of my colleagues costs him £300 to get a new customer. Cost me about 90. But he gets more than I do, so he makes more money. But um, I can get my book in front of in someone's hands for about 15 quid, including advertising. Which is pretty good, actually. But most people don't, it, because they don't take a long-term view of things, you know, there is one ex-member of Elite, whom I won't name, whose business went tits up because he lost sight of this. He was spending seven grand a month on Google AdWords and not making any return. It was, I think it was a case of there's so much net coming in, there must be some profit in it. There's so much growth, there must be some net there. I'm fascinated by what Michelle was doing. You're like a little girl, aren't you? Yeah, don't use all my ink up, will you? <laughs> don't use all my ink up. Um, so it's, it's, it's simple but not easy. And I think we've all found this. You know, it's, it's, we've all probably tried advertising and stuff, and then we could probably get lazy as well, and we don't, um, don't actually follow through with the numbers. I was talking to Kev um, Sasquatch's other half about some software and numbers and stuff, and it's really quite important. I think you'd do well to talk to Kev as well. I'm also going to get Chris Cardell to talk to him because I think that would be good for Chris as well. Um, so it's, it's simple and easy. It's easily available. I say anyone can go and set up an account on AdWords, Google AdWords, uh, double click, Bing, Facebook, LinkedIn. Well, I say anyone can. I mean, I know one person who went into a Google AdWords account and made such a hash of it they gave her money back. <laughs> that was your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The same woman, when Ash is changing a tyre, nearly ran him over. <laughs> She's sitting in the car and just decides to take the handbrake off. I mean, what is she on, man? I wish she was here. Because when you, when you remind her of that, she goes bright red. It's really funny. I mean, she's a really smart lady, your mother. And then she does stupid fucked up things like that. What, what is wrong with her? Mind you, I'm one to talk. I crashed my wife's car. And the amusing thing is, because I take testosterone jabs, um, and I was driving along with my daughter coming back from the psychotherapist, and she was having a special and unspecialed. And uh, I was amusing to myself about how the testosterone don't get roid rage or anything, they don't get angry, but I've noticed I'm less risk averse. Five minutes later, I crashed the car. <laughs> I thought, how fucking ironic was that? It was really quite funny because the, the, the bend, if you imagine the road goes like that, it's a really tight bend and there's a road off here. And I was going this way. So if I'd have just gone straight onto the side road, I could have stopped to reverse turn around and I'd have been fine. But I had this mad, I can get around this, I can do it, I can do it. Oh shit, I can't do it. Anyway, so we wrote the car off. I wrote her car off because it was a fairly old car and it fucked the, fuck the radiator and it wasn't worth fixing. So we've got a Land Rover now. I crashed that the other day as well. <laughs> I hit the curb and tore the tyre in off. I had to get a new tyre. Luckily, I was just around the corner from the uh, place. My language was appalling, as you can imagine. It's not good at the best of times. And I was in the car with Rosie again. She says, you all right, Dad? I says, yeah, I'm just angry. She says, why? I says, because I'm so stupid. 
frustrated. I think it's the meds. I don't like driving now. Um, say again? <laughs> the driving over here. Shocking, isn't it, Ed? It is shocking. I've, I've been here for 10 years now, and I, I've had more near-death experiences over here than I had in 25, 30 years before. It's shocking. You wouldn't believe how bad it is. I've seen people, on the way to Shannon, there's, a, there's a, an area, there's a, there's a stretch of road which is really wide, and we saw this car in front overtake another car, and another car overtaking that one. So there was, it was like double overtake. I couldn't believe it. Amazing. The death toll is, eh? No, and the, the death toll on these roads is huge, isn't it, in Ireland? I think it's the drink as well. Because you have all these parish priests, right? They, they go around with the little churches and they're in mass and they're knocking back the holy wine. And uh, they're getting pissed. And a few years ago, this priest actually said, this is, this is the extent to which religious people can, uh, can convince themselves that it's all real and happening. And, and it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word. But anyway, he basically, it's in the newspaper, he says, uh, because they, what they did, they changed, they lowered the limit of allowed, uh, that you have to, alcohol that you're allowed to have in your blood. And this priest is complaining, saying, look, this isn't fair because we have the communion wine. And I know it looks like alcohol in our blood, but it's not. It's holy alcohol kind of thing. <laughs> and it was, it was um, justification. It's, it's nonsense. You're fucking pissed, mate. Admit it. But he was saying, it's, it looks just like alcohol, but it's not. Fuck. Let's go and abuse a few kids, will you? Yeah, it's true. How's your baby, anyway, Drew? How's the baby? Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, I'm a granddad. I'm grandpa. Grumps. So anyway, it's relatively risky. The reasons are just, uh, are just given that you can spend a lot of money on generating leads that are dead, um, and then you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to sell to them. And I always say to people, when they start a new advertising campaign, no matter what they're doing, be prepared to lose money in the beginning because it very rarely works first time. And there's a guy called Jim Yagi who did some Google, Advertise, Google AdWords for me a couple of years ago. And to be fair, the guy says, you know, be prepared to lose some, how much can you, he basically said, how much are you prepared to lose? And I says, well, I'll give it 20 grand. And he says, that's good, good some money, we'll know if it's gonna work or not. And it didn't, that's fine. But you don't know these things until you try it. Now for a lot of people, 20 grand would put them out of business. Um, so what they do is they, they skimp, they, they, not only do they not do it properly, but they scrimp and save and try and do it cheaply. And as Dan Kennedy said many times, again, very contrary to what other businesses do, you, you, know, you should be looking to spend as much as you possibly can to get a new customer, not as little as you possibly can. But of course, you can't do that without cash flow. And this is why we have high prices and things. Or we should have high prices. It's speculative, because selling can be hard, and you don't know how traffic's going to convert, so you paid for it. Um, dealing with the unknown, same reasons. Okay, you don't know how these things are going to pan out until you've done them, and then you've spent the money. Okay? It's a bit of a... It is true that you don't spend money on pay-per-click until someone clicks, so it's free to get started. But I think that's a bit disingenuous, because it isn't really free to get started at all. It's, it's free to get... It's free until somebody clicks. Well, that's when your job starts, really, isn't it? Um, that, that's when you start having to make the money. And I remember once we went to Dublin, and I had a an email come through saying my card had been declined for Google, and I, shit, a bit of a panic, ch check, I logged into my account. In the train journey, in the time it took me to, from getting home to, from home on the train up to Dublin, I'd spent 800 quid on pay-per-click. <laughs> Didn't even know I was doing it, and my card had hit the limit, so. That made for a great holiday, as you can imagine. <laughs>
and you're at the mercy of unscrupulous bastards. Um, a whole industry of them, from advertising reps to people like me, who's selling you the, the latest, you know, fandangly thing. Um, it's all guaranteed to work, and um, they reel you in and with all the inflated promises and stuff. And I'm probably Dan Kennedy's honest too, but I'm one of the very few people who tell it like it really is. I, I've, I do have things to sell, but I don't sell shit, and I don't. I don't gloss over things. I, I mean, I know why people do it, and I don't think they're necessarily dishonest. They actually believe it, I think, sometimes. But what they don't understand is things like statistical significance. Um, and they are very much, they're very much bought into their own mindset of, um, what a bloody word I'm looking for? Confirmation bias, that's what it is. Confirmation bias. They're seeking confirmation. They already believe something, so they're trying to fit everything into that worldview. Bill Glazer did this. Bill Glazer did this, and it, I was, it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. I like Bill, nice guy. I don't think he's dishonest either. But he did something, and this is so easy to do, because it seems logical. I remember him saying that he had two, two clients, virtually identical businesses, virtually identical, um, different towns, but virtually identical demographics and things, and doing the same things, and one business was working, and one business wasn't. And because he's big, big into the mindset, so the, it must have been the mindset, something wooey going on. It's bullshit. But his confirmation bias is such that my system works, it works every time. If it don't, doesn't work, then you're doing it wrong. Um, that sounds like quite a logical thing to say, but it's actually a logical fallacy. It's untestable, so it's got no value whatsoever. But he was convinced that his system works. And it, the thing is, what works for me might not work for you, even though you're doing exactly the same thing. This is why I'm not bothered about people copying me. I see people on Facebook all the time. You know Dan Meredith? He's great at what he does. He's an arsehole because I told him to be an arsehole. Same with Paul Mort, and they were both, I mean, I'm not taking credit for their success, but they would both say that I, wrongly they would say I gave them permission to be themselves. I don't give anyone permission to be themselves because they don't need it, but that's how they feel, how they felt. Um, they do what they do very well, and I've seen people try and copy them as well, and they can't do it. People try and copy Ben Settle, people try and copy me, but because they don't understand it properly, it's obviously, a, it's obviously fake, and it, it stands out like a fucking hard-on in a nudist kindergarten that it's fake. But we'll say more about this. Anyway, you're at the mercy of unscrupulous bastards getting more, getting more customers. But that's what people do. We are on page 19. No, 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 no 19. Sound like my son. He came out as being gay the other day, by the way. He sent me a card for Father's Day, and it's like, thanks for being the best dad in the world, love you lots. And his handwriting's are worse than mine, because he's a spaz. Um, and he says, P.S. I am gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I send him a WhatsApp, he says, you're gay, are you, son? He says, yeah. All right, fine, fair enough. How long have you known? A few months. Do you mind? No. Can I watch? No. I says, you got a boyfriend? He says, no. And then the other night I was having a conversation with him on WhatsApp. He says, how, how can I find a boyfriend? I says, oh, I don't really know. It's not something I've ever done. I says, you've got, probably got dating sites. We've got gay clubs, I suppose. He says, I asked a boy out at school and he said, no. I says, did you ask him if he was gay first? He said, no. <laughs> That might be an idea. Somebody said he was bisexual, but I think he was joking. Oh, fair enough. Um, but I said to him, if you want to go to a gay club, I'll go with you. I'll make sure you're okay. Well, my mate Steve will go with you. Chaperone, I'll keep him safe. But my wife, um, my ex-wife, she says, oh, he's, he's just confused. Well, that's ridiculous, because if he said he was straight, he wouldn't be confused, would he? This is what he used to get me at school as well, about God. I said, I don't believe in God. Oh, you're too young to, to make that decision. But if I said I was believing in God, I was not too young to say that decision, am I? Well, that's different. No, it isn't.
Listen. Anyway, the second thing is sell more stuff. This is probably the second easiest thing. Um, it's easy to sell to more people, but still vastly underused. I mean, I don't know how often I'll get new, new leads because all my lead generation is broken at the moment. It's dead anyway. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I know because it's a small. I've got a small business, small numbers business. I know who my best customers are. I know. I mean, those DVDs are on sale now, and I, I know who's going to be buying them, pretty much. Sometimes people would come along as a bit of a surprise, like Dom was a bit of a surprise joining Elite, although I had my eye on him for a while, and Ed as well joining Elite, and, and Tim. But otherwise, I've got my eye on people. I know who's going to buy what. It's, you, know, just, you just learn to know these people. Selling to them is easy. Um, the one time I sold a, a seminar place to a new person to me in my business was a big mistake. He went to Cleveland, and he was a right cunt. I knew he was a cunt because on the very first night at the reception, I was talking to Vicky. I don't know, were you there, Michelle, when I was having this conversation? I was having a conversation with, I know Vicky Fraser was there. It was a high table like this, sitting around with munchies and stuff. And we start talking about daily emails, and he has no experience in them, but he knew they didn't work. I just looked at him, I looked at Vicky, I just shrugged and says, I'm not going to discuss it with you, there's no point. Because you're wrong, <laughs> simple as that. I thought, then he's going to be a cunt. And then uh, on the second morning, I think it was, the tables were in a big, big U, for those who weren't there. And I sat um, right on the far end of the left-hand side of the stage, as you look out, near Dan. And I was very clearly sitting on my own eating, wasn't I? Very clearly, like, I was, had this aura of fuck off. <laughs> with my hood up, <laughs> I very had this, clearly had this fuck off aura about me. And he came over and he says, do you mind if I sit down? I says, well, I'm not in the mood for talking. But it was a free country, you know. So he sat down and started talking to me. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? What part of my body language is telling you, this is okay, sit here? And he just tried to get a free consulting out of me. Just, and I was very, mm. Mm. Yeah, they were, they were <laughs> laughing at me, bastards. I was very close to just swearing at him, but I thought, no, he's paid me his money to be it. Yeah. I refunded him in the end. It was either that or spend an hour on Skype with him, which I would have rather severed my own dick, to be honest. <laughs> um, anyway, easier than selling to more people, but vastly underused, because people don't follow up, they don't make offers. Um, someone had a business a few years ago, um, which is now closed, and her problem was she could only service nine people at one time, residentially. And I says, well, you can't have more people you can't have more throughput because they're there for a week. So what you're going to have to do is sell more stuff to them when they're there, rather than not being sold to. And I said, well, I mean, you know, this is it. This, this is what your business is going to be. It can't grow anymore. A bit like you, you can't have any more dogs. You know? This is it. You're going to have to do something else. Well, she didn't, and now she's not doing it anymore. Um, but people, I mean, I'm presuming everybody here follows up and tries to sell more and more and more. <laughs> Yeah, I wish you all should. I should. I've got dozens of products, potentially, and I've got, probably got about half a dozen good ones, big ones, and probably another half a dozen um, that I could put together quickly. And I don't sell those either. I know, I, I'm stupid. It's your fault. You're not, co you're not coaching me properly. <laughs> trying to beat it out. Trying to beat it out. Mm. I like the sound of that. Somehow to pay. Oh, I have paid for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I take the piss out of life coaches, but Vicky's pretty damn good. I'm going to give her a an interview for the Inner Circle, and um, I shall give her a glowing testimonial if it all works. 
But the problem with most life coaches is they're about 25 years old and have no life experience or brains. What they've done is they've been attracted to the idea of, of being a life coach because they get all this wooey mindset stuff and they, they don't actually implement it themselves. Um, I saw a meme on Facebook the day. It's uh, people who see some motivational thing and say, yes, this, and then make no changes in their lives. You know? <laughs> I remember when Rosie was first taken ill, she was um, on suicide watching the, on the secure unit. And I won't name this girl, but she, she's 24. She was a life coach. Then she was trying to be a business coach for female entrepreneurs. Um, you know, bearing in mind that this woman is sitting there trying to talk to Michelle and Kat and, you know, Yinka, big scary Yinka, and Yinka, and say, I'd like to coach you so you get more out of life. And they're looking, go away, little girl. <laughs> and she emailed me and she says, um, oh, if, you, if you'd like, like me to speak to your daughter and kind of sort her out, That'd be great and I'd be really happy to do it. And yeah, it, was, it came from a nice place. But would I let this fucking 24-year-old bimbo loose on my suicidal daughter? No. And Paris wrote a very nice letter, which Rosie never replied to, even though I keep telling her to. Um, but that was different. That's a different thing. But yeah, anyway. So Vicky's a pretty good life coach as far as she goes. She does her best. She gave me this badge that says, I have Asperger's, and I do wear it. Um... Yes, selling, selling more stuff, selling to your existing customers. It's easy, it's simple, it's cheap because the higher cost of marketing has already been spent um, and it's highly profitable for that reason. You know, if I sell a DVD to someone who's been on my list for a while, um, DVD set probably cost me five or ten quid or something to have made, £300, it's a £290 profit. Um, that's not a bad return <laughs> for me. But the best thing of all, the simplest, easiest, and most profitable of all, um, but the one that business owners don't do, is sell at higher prices. Now, when people do consulting with me, which isn't that often, or if they have a phone call or something, it's a little bit like I said at the beginning here. They come along, or they come onto the call. They, they want me to give them some fabulously long, complicated direct mail sequence or something, or something they can... You know, they've got these high expectations and often I just say, put your prices up, man, and come back in six months' time because that's all it takes. When you put your prices up several times, haven't you? And I know the first few times you were a bit, oh, should I? And you've not had any price resistance, have you? No. And you've had people say, oh, that's too much, but then you just go, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And how, how easy was it? It was easy. Right email. Yeah, right. And how, I mean, uh, what, what's it done for your profits? Oh, yeah, massively. <laughs> what you talked about before, all the other stuff that I'm able to do... Because of that? ...is a result of the fact that I've what I'm charging for the job. Really. And do you get better customers and clients from oh, it? Oh, yeah. And this, they're, you know, they're my friends, a lot of them, you know, now. Um, yeah. It's the same with, same with Elite. Mm. You know, I charge these guys a lot of money. Um, I'll invoice you later for this. Um, <laughs> And I charge a lot of money for elite and stuff, but they've become my friends as well. And I, they are the best people. And they've been coming, some of them, for Kat and Michelle, for Drew, for nearly four years. Which is pretty fucking amazing, really. You get less time for murder, don't you? Right, and of course Nirvana is selling more stuff to more people under higher prices. And that is the crux of what we're going to be doing. What are you smirking at? Hmm. Did I say crux? 
Ho, ho, ho. Right, so that, that is the place to be, selling more stuff at higher prices to more people. But what the way to do it is to set the foundations first, which is the higher prices. And we do that in two ways. We do that with premium pricing, which we're going to cover today. And we also do it um, through premium positioning. Now, the two things are not the same, though they do go hand in hand, which is why I teach them together. Because obviously, if you're, a, if you're an expert, you would expect to be charging a high rate. Uh, and if you're charging a high rate, people would expect you to be an expert. Makes sense. I remember the Dan Kennedy thing a few years ago, about 10 years ago now. What the fuck is that? I'll dribble. Um, and I was talking to a guy who was selling web franchises. I'm not going to name him and stuff, but he was selling web franchises. And he couldn't sell them at five grand a, a time. No one wanted them. And I don't know whether Dan told him to do this or he just did it himself. But he, and he's he since become a big player in, in my kind of industry. Um, so he put the price at the 55 grand. Well, when he put the price up, he couldn't keep them, you know, they were flying off the shelves. Because the price itself conferred a certain image. And if you think about it, I mean, I looked at, when I first went into business for myself, I thought about getting a franchise. And I, I researched some of them. And there was the obvious ones like McDonald's and stuff, but I didn't want to get into that. But there were the stuff that you can do on your own. There was one which was um, wheelie bin cleaning. And one was chewing gum removal off the floors and things. They were quite good business models. Hmm? Yeah, and I looked at these things, and the thing is, although I know, I know nothing about marketing at that time, so this was all new, but I, knew, I, I remember from my own reaction, the ones that were like four grand for a franchise didn't appeal, but the ones were maybe 50 to 75 grand did, like Diner Rod, because the price gives it a certain image, doesn't it? You know, well, they're charging 75 grand for it, it must be worth something. It's not logical, but we're not logical species. And if you're wondering why I don't have a moustache, by the way, it's because it's ginger. <laughs> well, there's nothing worse than having ginger hair, is there? <laughs> hey? Why did that just come out? Uh, it just does. <laughs> just does. You've spent a time in my brain before. You know what it's like. No, you know what it's like. So, that was principle number one. Ignorance about the way the world of business works and, and these fundamental things of... You can't do the same things everyone else is doing, all those things. Um, absolutely vital to understand those. And it's, it's not just random, it's absolutely vital that you understand it because when it comes to positioning tomorrow, some of the things you do, you need a thick skin, you need a spine. Um, people say one of the hardest things in, in life business is to say no. I accept that, but what's even harder than that is, is putting your head above the parapet and standing up for... Um, I mean, I, I actually don't have a problem with this. I've, I've struggled with this somewhat because I think it was Vegard asked me um, a few, about a year or so ago. He says, can you, because I, I was soliciting, I was just soliciting, <laughs> no, I was soliciting um, uh, topics for, for the coaching calls because, you know, I've done probably best part of 60 coaching calls now for the inner circle and I'm frankly getting fed up with it because uh, what do you talk about? Um, so that's why I'm doing more interviews on Vicky and a few other people. Um, and he said, can you do something on teaching us to not give a fuck? 
And we, we spoke about this, didn't we? Because you said I should get more involved in mindset and stuff, which I think you're probably right. And I thought long and hard about it, and the, answer, the thing is I don't know how to teach it because I'm wired up this way. And the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. With the Asperger's thing, what can be a definite disadvantage? I mean, if you notice, I'm not making much eye contact today. I've noticed that because I'm not getting anything from it. Um, I do it because it works. But things like that can be a disadvantage. But the advantage, the commensurate advantage with that is you don't give a fuck what people think. And most Aspies are the same. You just don't. Now, those who are bullied, that's the different thing because they get put into a victim mentality. I got out of that when I was seven years old by beating the shit out of the school bully. Um, but essentially, the way we're wired up, we don't care. We don't feel grief either in the same way. It's great. So the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. So I can't actually teach people very well how to not give a fuck. So you have to learn that one yourself. But they God asked me. But whether you're naturally that way inclined or not, I suspect Chris probably is. Whether you're naturally inclined that way or not, you're going to have to learn to do it because, you know, you get a barrage of hate mail. I know it can upset some people. It just makes me laugh. I don't, I don't even reply anymore. I used to reply and wind them up. The ones that get me are, please take me off this list. Are you too fucking stupid to click the link below? I think you've done that before, haven't you? And people say, well, you took me off the list and you said, are you too stupid to click the link below? Do it yourself. Oh, look, I'll do it for you. There you go. Well, that was hard, wasn't it? Um, But yeah, you're going to have to learn to, do the, to, to grow a thick skin. One of the things Michelle is always bending my ear about is her brother and his approach to prices and how he gets beaten down on price so that he has to beat him up again. Because Michelle's quite tough on this kind of thing. But, you know, you're going to have to. And it does take work. And as we'll talk about in positioning, I mean, there's some, you don't have to be an arsehole like I am all the time. Um, you can if you want to be. I love it. I think it's great. But, you know, my, say my opinions on religion and abortion and things, I'm very vocal about them. And it does upset some people, and I don't give a shit. Um, but some people will actually take that to heart and, and get upset themselves, because they're upsetting others. Probably more women than men, to be honest. But, hey. It's your fault for not being born with a penis. It's true. It's so much easier to have one simple hose as opposed to all that complicated internal plumbing. I do know, because I see... Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> All right, let's, let, I wasn't going to get into this, but let's. <laughs> but let's. You walk into a chemist or a, or a supermarket and you've got like men's products and you've got you know, shaving foam, soap, toothpaste and stuff. Women's, it goes on forever. And I know that's all for their internal bits, but... I mean, you've got panty liners, panty pads, ones with wings, one without wings, ones that go up, one that just lie in your gusset. For fuck's sake. Yeah, but we don't have to worry about that. We don't dribble. Well, we do a little bit, but... No matter how hard you shake your peg, at least one drop goes down your leg. Truth. I'm not denying that. Do you know why they're that funny shape at the end? Seriously. Penis. Mushrooms. Helmet, you know? This is true. It's because it's an effective pump for pumping out the semen of your predecessor. This is why porn is so... This is why porn is, is so, so popular. Because, this, and this is why men watching other people having sex is a, is a turn-on for them. Because it, it, what the, in the evolutionary terms, the, the female is um, available for mating, 
and probably procreating. So you see someone shaking, well, I'm going to get in there next. I mean, my helmet will pump out all this jizz and mine will go in afterwards. Anyway. <laughs> you can leave that in, by the way. <laughs> Just take out the references that I said at the beginning. Um, right, principle two, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you've all done it, um, is the law of the vital few. Now, I'm, I'm very big on 80-20 um, because it's so powerful. And it's another one of those things that, well, it's so powerful that um, you can revolutionise your business just by looking at it with 80-20 eyes. Um, Perry Marshall did a book on called 80-20 Marketing. He makes a big error, though, which I'll go into in a moment. But in, in principle, he's dead right. I mean, if you were to take your top 20% of customers and start selling more to them, put them into some kind of special box, if you like. I think you've done this, haven't you? If you've not, you should have done, because I told you to. Um, you make loads of my money. Again, my top 20% is my elites, without doubt. I have people pissing and moaning because I spend more time on my elites than anyone else. Well, what the fuck am I going to do? They pay me all the money. You, you, you're just a wanker who's bought a you know, fucking 20 quid product. Fuck off. Here's your money back. Go away. Die. So in any way, everyday life, you know, 20% of your clothes get one eighth of at the time. 80% of road accidents involve just 20% of the population. That's me at the moment. 8% of the population. <laughs> 80% 80 of the population live in 20% of the cities, etc., etc. But in your business, I mean, those numbers you can look at, but in your business, you know, 8 to 20 is alive and kicking. If you've got enough numbers there, this is the mistake I think Perry Marshall makes. He says, because it's, it's fractal in the sense that, you know, of your top 20%, there's another top 20%, and so on and so on. But when you get down to small numbers, it doesn't, it's not statistically significant. And he misses that, and a lot of people do. This is what annoys me. You get people on there. Have ever seen the Warrior Forum? No. Oh, it's appalling. It's real hype. You get people saying, you know, wrote a sales letter that got a 90% success rate, and he sent like five of them out. Well, that's not statistically significant at all. It's just luck or judgment. Luck rather than judgment, you know. But in your business, 20% of your marketing accounts for 80% of your business, 20% of your sales go to 20% of your clients. You know this is true but I bet there's hardly anyone here who knows what those numbers actually mean in terms of customers and, and the products they sell and the clients and what you do. Do you? Deathly silence. If anyone probably knows, it would be Michelle because she's got loads of numbers coming from her bookkeeper. But you don't actually sell anything, so you don't. Mine's not significant. No. <laughs> I know them. But you hmm. need to keep me doing it because I've done this, I don't know, every couple of years. And you just, you, I'm going to do it again now and because things change. Yeah. Um, and of all the complaints, I mean, this is, this, this is where we get into positioning. Again, more about this tomorrow, but of all the complaints and headaches, 8% of them come from 20% of your clients. And the obvious thing is you get rid of them. I did some work with a website firm, not far away actually, um, from here, when I first got here in Ireland. And the first thing I told him to do was, one, put your prices up, which he'd resisted because it was right at the beginning of the recession, 2008. Um, but he did, and the second thing I told him to do is to take your bottom 20% of customers and just get rid of them. And he says, I can't do that. And I says, well, look, let's go through the numbers. And these, these people, some people were paying him £500 a month, some were on £100 a month, some were on £500 a year. Uh, it was, it was sm and compared to his top business, it was small numbers. I said, look, how much are you going to lose in revenue if you get rid of these people? 
and it was some, uh, say 10 grand a year. And this guy had got several employees in office, so 10 grand wasn't a huge amount. And I says, but what's it going to save you in terms of time? And he said, it's going to save us about 20 hours a week. And I said, well, 20 hours a week for 10 grand, that sounds like a, you know, and then you can put that 20 hours a week and that money into getting, or that, that 20 hours a week into getting new high quality clients or, or selling more stuff to your existing clients. And he did it, and he was, went back about a week or two later, and he, he says it's, the whole business has changed because the morale was so improved. They got rid of all these scumbags who were phoning up, demanding things all the time, and paying fuck all for it, and he got rid of them. And he says, where do I, well, how do I get rid of them? I said, send them to your competitors. <laughs> they will love you for it, because, you're, hey, they're sending us business. Hey, it's shit business, but... So you, you offload all your shit clients and customers onto your competitors. Um... They are happy because they've got someone still servicing their needs. Your clients, your, your competitors are happy because they think you're nuts giving them business and you're happy because you got rid of the shit. I don't do that, actually. Because I, uh, I refer people to Vicky Fraser all the time. But I only send the good people. I wouldn't send them shit. Um, and 20% of businesses will enjoy 8% of the share. You know all this. What you might not realise um, is what it can mean for you. Such as the simple way to grow your business is a relatively low-value 20% activity, as in getting new, new leads, which is simple but not easy, but it's fairly low value. The most profitable way to grow your business, selling to existing customers and raising your prices, is a high-value 80% activity. But business owners get in the wrong way around. They spend all their time on the low-value stuff that's, that's, e that's simple but not easy, and completely miss out on the, the easy stuff that will have the massive bang for the buck. Um, and when you're putting your prices up, there's no work at all. And I say to people, quite literally, that you can start making more money from the very first break, because you can just go on your website or tell your staff, our prices are going up, and you make more money. And the thing is, even I've never heard of it happening, but even if it actually damages your business in the sense you make fewer sales, the, the graph isn't in this, I should have put it in, but I can send it out. Um, you, can make more, you can make fewer sales and still make more profits anyway. But it just doesn't happen. I've, I mean, I think one of your lab guys was crying on the phone to you because he was going to get his house repossessed or something, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think people yeah. were But I've only heard that that's once and you don't know what else was happening in his life. Yeah. But I mean, Dom put his prices up, Drew's put his prices up. I don't know whether you put yours up or anything. You undercharged me, silly girl. Um, how do you know that you undercharged me? Do you remember? Did I tell you? Yeah. What was the big glaring thing that should have told you? I didn't say anything. I just paid it. And then I told you you'd undercharge me. Same with you, Alex. But I, it doesn't work in the video. <laughs> Price rises in video is a different business. Especially in Ireland, in Cork. So if you, anyway, this 80-20 thing, if you look at this graph um, on page 25, it shows you that your high-value tasks are, and the caption beneath it, are 16 times more valuable than the low-value ones. Now this is if we're looking at 80 and 20. The numbers don't have to be 80 and 20. Um, they don't even have to add up to 100. And sometimes you'll find it like 99 to 1, as in... You know, 1% of your stuff makes you 99% of your profit. My business is more, than, mine's, mine's probably about a 90, 10, 10 business because my income is massively skewed towards my elites, um, which is not necessarily a good thing to be. I mean, although 
it's unlikely that there'll be a mass exodus from elite. I'm very aware that I rely on one thing. And if I was, say, unable to do it, I'd be quite vulnerable, which is why I want to get the products selling and things and do more consulting. So it's not for everyone. It's great. I know my prices are about right at 12 and a half grand a day plus VAT because people ask for my menu and they don't come back, which is good because I'm not doing it for any less. I thought of sitting in a room in this hotel with the kind of people on my list for a day. It'd be hard work. I mean, even if it was someone in this room, it'd be hard work. Not in the same way as if it was, say, various, like Malcolm. <laughs> Imagine doing a day, I just wouldn't do it. I was, one of us would end up dead and it wouldn't be me. So, that's 80-20. It's a bit of an eye-opener, that. I remember uh, some years ago, I had a guy, he was in my first kind of mastermind, a bit, bit like Elite, and his son sold little dinky toys, model cast metal cars off his website and he had a shop in Nottingham and for some reason they were massive in Korea, South Korea and he sold thousands of pounds a month to Korea and a few quid out of his shop but because of the the nature of the, the, the terms of his lease he had to be in the shop he couldn't just use it as a warehouse and I said to him well 95% of his sales or something came off the website. So I says, well, why have you got the shop at all? He says, well, I have to be there. That's like, why are you in the shop? I have to be there. He says, well, why do you have the shop at all? You're in that shop five or six days a week and for 10% of your income. So are you willing to take a 10% cut in your income to not have that shop and not have to go to work? Oh, yeah, obviously. Well, you don't, obviously, because you're not doing it, you fucking moron. But he did, he just jacked, you know, just jacked it in. Just put his boxes of toys in the garage instead. But that was an obvious one. But it's obvious to me, but it's, it's one of those things that I mentioned earlier about, um, because everybody who, has a, who sells models has a shop. Well, that's what you do, that's the way the businesses are run. The, the fact that he was actually not selling very much out the shop, you know, he didn't need the shop to run his business, but he couldn't get out of the, the mindset that he did need it, because that's the way you do it. Now, it's not fair. Um, we know it's not fair. But life ain't fair. Really not. And you can't change those numbers. This is why socialism will never work, because they want to. And they do anything they can to change the numbers, but they can't. And they talk about redistributing of wealth without realising that the wealth is distributed the way it is for a fucking good reason. And it ain't all down to cabals and secret societies and and all those kinds of things. It's down to the fact that life ain't fair and some people work harder than others. We've had good fortune and bad fortune and that's it. But what you can choose is which side of the fence you want to sit on. Now, it's all about choices, really. I mean, all, all your customers and clients are not the same, so it's up to you where you put your time. It's up to you how much you charge. It's up to you what you will allow in your business. Um, I mean, elite is... Do you want a ruler, Michelle? Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, do you hear my hip go then? Going to your four-way station in the future. Thank you. I'm far too good to you. <laughs> oh. oh, it's quite moist, actually. Can you take a picture of the 
300 pounds. It's not for everyone. But they also get a, a half an hour Skype conversation with me. Yes, my magic bag. Um, everyone who comes into your business, you've invited in. They're there by your consent. Well, they're not even there by your consent, they're there by your choice. Because you've attracted them, you've said yes. You know, you don't have to take them on. Don Carlton tells a story um, that uh, when he was a struggling young copywriter, he, he got a, a, some bloke agreed to pay him $1,000 up front for some work. And he went back to his office and the uh, cheque arrived in the post, it was 500. And he rang the guy up and says, well, we said 1,000. He says, yeah, but I thought if I gave you 500, you'd work harder for it. And John says he tore the cheque up, sent it back, and he said never since, ever since then he's, he's never allowed himself to be bullied by a client. That's quite a powerful story because most people would have said, oh, okay, let's deal with that. I mean, I did it myself. I used to work for this firm in, or work with this firm in Cambridge. And every fucking time it was the same, your best price, please, John. So what did I do? I knocked the price down. What a fucking idiot. Now, if people, no one would say it now, but if they did say it now, I would say, well, you know, my best price is probably a lot more than I'm charging you. you know? Can we do something about the price? Well, we can, yeah, it can go up a long way. You know? But I, I, because of my positioning, I don't get that anymore. I just don't. I had one guy email me about the pot of gold. Um, are you doing any, any incentives for us to come along? What he meant was I want a price cut. I said, dude, if you can't, if coming to see Dan Kennedy live isn't incentive enough, you might as well just fuck off. Because <laughs> you ain't ready for it. He never came back to me. Which is not surprising, is it? Um, so, you know, these, these choices that we have, um, your prices, where you want to sit in your market, the people you want to deal with, what you want to sell, how you want to sell it, they're all choices. You make them even if you don't make them, you know. As the Rush song goes, if, if, if you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice. You go into work in the mornings and run your business, everything's by choice. And you can choose where you want to be. And you are free to choose anything. Okay? You are free to not position yourself as the expert. You are free to charge low prices. You are free to give discounts if you wish. I'm not going to make you do it. Um, but you are not free to escape the consequences of your choices. Now, if that lesson was taught to people in school, I think we'd have a better world. Because people want to escape the consequences of their choices, don't they? I've gone the other way, and this is actually part of, part of the answer to Vegard's question of how do you not give a fuck. One of the things I did do, and this wasn't the way I'm wired up, that did, so it didn't come naturally, I don't think it comes naturally to any of us, but I, I taught myself to do it a long time ago, and now it's second nature. And that is, I take full responsibility for everything that happens to me, whether it's my fault or not. Um, some things are the people's fault and some things are just the way they are. A good example is my mental health. I was having spoken to Michelle on FaceTime and she said, what would you tell one of your elites to do if they said, have this conversation? So obviously I'd say, you're going to see the doctor. <laughs> there you go. And that's why I promised you I'd go and see the doctor because I promised her that's what I did. Um, but then I took responsibility for it, as you see from my emails. And the overriding message I've been getting from people, from, from Kat, Michelle, Mo, on everyone really, even people I don't really know by email, is how proud of me they are for doing it and how strong it must have, well, I must have been to do it. It's not about strength really, it's about I take responsibility for it. Once you've made that decision, it's easy. 
Um, so even if it's someone else's fault, take responsibility for it. That's one of the things about not giving a fuck. Because once you do that, you're in a very powerful position. I can be scared, but I'm almost impossible to intimidate, which is another very powerful position. But the first night I took full clonazepam, <laughs> my daughter, um, she wanted to go out, and I, she'd been grounded for being an asshole. But I relented and let her out, and says, I want you home by midnight, and no drinking. So three o'clock in the morning, half past three in the morning, she's brought back by the guards, rolling drunk. And these, these guards are their big guys in stab vests. I'm woken up half past three after having four clonazepam. I'm away with the fairies. Mm. I'm quite aggressive anyway, the best of times, especially when fucking police come to my house. Because I'm not a fan of the police. And Rosie got a fucking big bruise on her arm. And the AMTs had been called because she'd got so drunk. And they said, who did that? Was that your father? And she said, no, it was my boyfriend. And it actually was. She, she said for a boyfriend for a lock, hit me as hard as you can, which he did. Just for a fucking great big bruise. But of course, the police thought it was me. So that's why they came up mob-handed in stab vests, because they didn't know what kind of a bloke I was. And they thought they were taking her home for a good hiding. So they're aggressive with me from the outset. So I responded in my usual way. And one of them saying, you don't have to calm down, sir. I have to stop swearing. I said, it's my fucking property. You come onto my fucking property half past fucking three in the morning. I will not be quiet. Um, that didn't go down very well. I don't know why I got onto that one. But anyway, choices. So you make your choices. You pay your money, you take your choice. And you can choose what you like. But I strongly suggest you do... But you make the choices commensurate with what I'm teaching you today and tomorrow. So, everything in your business, everything in your life, I would... I mean, who's not to read the book, 80 to 20 Principle by Richard Koch? I strongly suggest you get it. I think I bought it for everyone in Elite at the beginning, didn't I? I strongly suggest you get that. Um, it's worth getting the, the DVDs, uh, the CDs as well, or instead of. He narrates them himself. He's got a great voice. Not as good as our Nightingale. I could listen to him all day. Um, and he talks about 8 to 20... Saying the book is very dry, and you can probably get most out of it in the first two chapters. 80-20. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually talks about, Richard Koch just talk about reading books in the 80-20s fashion. Um, but if you examine everything you do through 80-20, including your relationships and your happy, he calls them islands of happiness. Or, uh, islands of happiness. <laughs> islands of happiness. Um, but you think about it, it's true, that the times you're happiest are, are quite small and condensed. And most people spend large, large portions of their lives doing shit they don't want to do. I mean, I'm always laughing at Michelle because she has, she enjoys it, so I'm not, I'm not saying she doesn't, but she has massive family gatherings. I mean, your entire lifestyle, your entire house and your patio is being built around the idea of having millions of people around to see you. That would drive me nuts. Um, but, you know, that kind of thing would... When I was married before, my, my wife, ex-wife, was quite big on family too. So we would go around to her in, to my in-laws. And they're nice people, but I used to hate it. So my life was punctuated by small periods of happiness when I wasn't with her. And then the vast majority, <laughs> the vast, well, just me and my girls, because Alfie hadn't come along at that time. Um, and vast stretches of absolute and utter murder and boredom. But most people's lives are like that, if you think about it. And it's really quite sad, isn't it? 
you spend so much of your life doing things that you don't actually... Because most I mean, even if you're a happy person like I am for the most part, you still spend most of your life neither being happy or unhappy, being just kind of just coasting through it. What are you grinning at? I've drawn an island of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I do worry about you sometimes, Michelle. I really do. So anyway, examine everything in your life and business um, through the 80-20 lens because it will dramatically improve your fortunes and your happiness. Health, fitness, the rest of it, everything. And what does 8 to 20 have to do with raising prices? Well, eight, uh, raising your prices is quintessentially an 8 to 20 activity. It's a very small, potent thing that you can do to have a massive effect. Because the thing about, you know, the overriding thing with the 8 to 20 principle is um, a small number of things have a disproportionately big effect. Raising your prices is one of them. No, no argument about that. Now, 10% price increase on a 35% margin will give you a 37 point something percent increase in profits. Well, no one's going to argue about a 10% price increase, really. Or, the people who will argue about it are the kind of people you don't want to be fucking selling to anyway. Now, when I, I slashed the, run, the, the, the Land Rover's tyre when I hit the kerb the other day, I just pulled into the garage and the guy said, 85 euro, is that all right? Well, of course it's all right. He could have charged me twice that it had been all right. Because I need a fucking tyre on the car, you know. He's, I, was like, I can't take the car anywhere else. I'm not going to jack it up and change the wheel just to go and find a cheaper tyre. So, you know. This is a classic example of tasteless clothing. No, this is a classic example of premium pricing gone wrong. I'll come to it later. I don't just wear it for the sake of it, just to offend people. Or do I? <laughs> um, so, it's, raising your prices is, is, is a 20... 8 to 20 activity. If you raise your prices and there's a problem, put them back down again. Because another thing that, another mistake that people make is, is they look at their businesses as being, um, and this is actually symptomatic of their attitude to business as well. Excuse me. They, they see businesses as being a series of events of sales. So they think if, if, they, if they lose this sale, I'm never going to make any more. And it's bullshit. Because if you take the longer view, like a lead generation which is dead, um, and you realise that it is a process and not an event, you then lose this emotional attachment to making any one sale. I'll say more about this positioning tomorrow. Um, positioning is a strange thing because premium pricing is, is very much into numbers and you can, you can talk about the numbers and you can see the effect on a spreadsheet or a chart. Positioning is more of a... I've been thinking about this, Vicky. Um, positioning is as much of a mindset thing as anything else. Because you've got your inner game, and unless you get your inner game sorted, you can't project it. This is what I was saying earlier about people who try and copy like me and Paul Morton, Dan Meredith and people. They don't get it right because they don't internalise it first. They just do it. I mean, I've seen emails from people swearing in their emails, and it doesn't work, because you can tell it's not them. I don't know how I tell, but you can tell it's not them. It just doesn't work. Whereas I think people would be shocked if I didn't swear in my emails now. Um, a small number of your products and services are responsible for the lion's share of your profits. We know this. That's what it's got to do with prices, uh, with 8 to 20. Um, they are the areas you should focus most of your time on. Uh, it makes, because what we tend to do, and Richard Koch talks about this, what we tend to do is, if we want to improve our businesses, although we put our prices up so across the board, we will not market the things that sell the, the best. We we'll tend to market the things that sell the worst, because we want to bring them up to, up, to, up to speed, or up to the same level. But you can't do that, because we try and, you're, 
yeah, you can have a sanity check, I suppose, and you may have made a fundamental error in your sales process. But for the most part, the things that are selling best now will always sell best. It does change, like Michelle was selling Talladium at one, uh, Tylite at one point, but then the market changes, technology changes, so there will be changes. But while the market's the same, you know, so absent that kind of thing, um, what sells best now is going to sell best in the future. So if you've got a product that's selling really, really well and makes you loads of profit, and you've got one that makes you a bit less profit but you don't sell many of, there's not often a lot of point in focusing on that one. Because every, in your top eight to 20, because of the 16 to one ratio, every 1%, sorry, every, every increase, increase you make in your most profitable stuff is 16 times as valuable as the, change, the improvements you make in your lower end stuff. And it's a lot easier too, because now these things are selling better for a fucking reason. You're doing something right, the market wants it, whatever. But we tend to do it the other way around. We tend to nibble around the edges and go for the low-hanging stuff and try and bring it to the speed. It's a little bit like, you know, you've got a class full of kids and there's a few retards in there. It's like the, the teacher spending all the time trying to bring the retards up to scratch. Well, they should put them in a gas chamber or something, get rid of them, and just, just concentrate on the clever kids. <laughs> Is that not politically correct? <laughs> I'd like to say I didn't mean it, but I do. Well, when I was at school, I was obviously always one of the brightest kids there, if not the brightest. I just used to hate fucking stupid ones. Let's see if you be explaining something. Does everybody understand? Oh, fuck it. What's so hard about this? Interestingly enough, the school bully was one of these stupid ones, which is why he used to bully me. And uh, that happened, that used to happen regularly. Because I, I used to wear glasses, which was unusual for a kid of my age. And because I had a lazy eye, I had a big white sticking plaster over one of them. I used to bully me mercilessly. And one day, um, I was, he was settling to give me a good hiding. And for some reason, I kicked him in the bollocks. And he went down. I thought, oh my God, I've just kicked him in the bollocks. He's going to kill me when he gets up. Don't let him get up. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally kicked his teeth out. I kicked those shoes for years because I split the shoe on his teeth. And this was about 40 odd years ago. 45 years ago, and things were different then. Because now if you kick someone's teeth, then you'd probably get in trouble. And when I kicked his teeth, and it was like... Because <laughs> the teachers knew what he was, a, they knew he was a piece of shit. Um, and that followed me through for the rest of my life. That was great. So I'm one, of the, I'm one of the few Aspies who's never really been bullied for a long time. Because people left me alone after that. Because they thought he's a bit of a nutter, so don't bother. Interestingly enough, although he grew up to be huge, he was about six foot four, and he's big with it. He was scared of me forever after that. He was very respectful towards me, even as an adult, when he could have marmalised me quite easily. Ah, oh, that was good there. Good times. <laughs> well, well I, can't, I can't adequately explain how beneficial that was to me in terms of self-confidence and things, and just the sheer enjoyment of kicking his face in. Well, when you've got someone who's been bullying you for, for months, possibly years, and all of a sudden he's in a bloody heap at your feet and you're kicking his face in, it's pretty fucking good. You can leave that in as well. So if you want a refund for your DVDs, you can come and ask for one. <laughs> um, yeah, small number of your clients are responsible for the lion's share of your profits. Same thing. These are the ones you should focus on. We have this thing in business where we... Oh, <laughs> The customer is always right. No, the customer is often a pain in the fucking ass, stupid, and you don't want to deal with them. Um, when I used to 
it doesn't happen so much now because I need to work more on this, but the inner circle used to be very busy in the email list. And uh, there was a girl called, what's her name? The ginger egg lass, Belfast. Megan. 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 I used to talk about Megan a lot because Megan used to do a lot of stuff. Um, and people used to complain, well, you, you, you're always talking about Megan, can't you talk about me kind of thing? And I said, well, no, because you're not doing anything. I'm, I'm going to focus on the people who are doing stuff because that will spur them on more, it, it validates what I'm doing, and also it means they'll buy more from me. And she did, she came to a couple of boot camps and she bought stuff and the rest of it. And it's like my elites, I spend a lot of time on my elites because they deserve it. And people I want to bring into elite like yourself, um, and there's a couple of others, I will spend more time with them as well because it's in my interest to. I've invited you along to Elite in September. Well, there's only one reason for doing that. I want you to join Elite. You know? I've, I invited Vicky Fraser along for one meeting in February and she's been here for two years or more. Um, I've been trying to get rid of Michelle for years and she won't go. You know? <laughs> Shake her off like a dog sagging your leg, you know. <laughs> um, it reminds me, remember Wilson, the... the uh, Golden Retriever turned up. Rosie, Rosie had been out. No, he's not turned up again. But I did actually have a message from West Cork Animal Welfare. He keeps being picked up. I'm going to ask the woman if she wants to sell him. But um, the way Wilson turned up, Rosie was out and she got dropped at the bottom of the lane as she walked up. And she says, she lets her know. She says, Dad, I've just been followed at the lane by a dog. So I opened the door and there's this Golden Retriever. <laughs> I said, he's not coming in. He just looked at me and walked in and says, oh, hello. <laughs> You're in then. <laughs> and he just, he just made himself at home. He was a great big fucking lump of dog. He was so gentle. He'd walk across the, he used to follow me everywhere and I'd walk across the, uh, the, the farmyard and he'd just gently take my wrist in his teeth and walk with me. I don't know what's all that about. He's a beautiful boy and he started responding to his name. And then the, the lady came along who, who farms the land with her husband and she says, that's my brother's dog. <laughs> well, I ain't stolen it, he just turned up. I says, what's his name? I think he was Flash or something like that, yeah. And he just I says, of course, Flash, nothing. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I can't believe how obedient he is. I said, I've been training him. Well, he never does this at home. That's because you don't train him, do you? This is why he's walking off, because he's, he's getting no, no attention. And he's a lovely friend, because retrievers want to be around people, don't they? They're working dogs. Beautiful boy. <laughs> <laughs> It was very dusty when they took him away, I tell you. Um, a small increase in the size of your most profitable widgets gives you a disproportionate increase of profit. This is what I've just been saying. Ounce for ounce, that's 16 times more profitable than trying to bring up something that's flagging or something that's not doing so well. Now, be sensible about this. If it's obvious you've got something wrong or a new product that you think could do well, yes. But don't, don't look at your balance sheet and you look at your sales and say, well, we're not selling many of these pink widgets. Let's try and sell more pink widgets. Let's do a push on pink widgets. Unless you've got a big stock of pink widgets that you need to get rid of, obviously. Um, focus on what's working and do more of it. And as, as a, kind of a corollary to that, it's the same kind of thing as people, I'll tell people to do something and they'll do it. Say put the prices up, it's a good one, 10%. What do we do now? We'll put your price up again. Well, I can't, why not? I've just done it, so no one complained. It's, I, call it the, I think I mentioned it later on, it's called the price ratchet. You just keep ratcheting it up every couple of months until you reach the point where people are complaining and then you have to make a decision. You want to put up the complaints and sell a bit, sell a fewer things but make more money or just take it back a notch and keep, keep the peace. But here's the thing, again we'll say more about it, but if you're not getting price resistance you're too cheap, Alex. Well not for me obviously. Um, 
you didn't hear the resistance, the resistance I put up, and it doesn't work in video. Um, yeah, and for reasons I will come to very shortly, premium pricing and premium positioning, they make selling easier, not harder. And there's so many advantages for doing so as well. Principle number three. You are responsible for yourself. Um, I kind of said a bit about this earlier. Have you, has anyone got this a Fitbit? But you've got one of those watches. And you, you, you go on and get, like a fucking. Yeah. And it only works when you're, well, like at night it works. When you're in bed, it goes, <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Um, you're responsible for yourself. You are responsible for yourself. This comes in, in many guises. Um, Dan Kennedy uses the phrase, and I don't know where he got it from. And I, I don't think he, he, he said he got it from someone else. I can't remember what this, the original source was. People are walking around with an umbilical cord in their hand looking for somewhere to plug it in. They want people to... This is, I think this is why religion is such a big thing. People want to be taken care of. They, you, know, you get to a certain point, point in your life and you realise, fuck, I'm going to die one day. And you realise, I'm probably about halfway through. And that was the best half. <laughs> I mean, that's not true for me. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of... I think love is called it the human condition, you know? I'm 52, I'm in great shape, hip notwithstanding, and sh hip shoulder mental health notwithstanding. <laughs> eh? Eyesight. Eyesight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my body is starting to fucking show its age. And I'm in good shape, but I ache in the mornings, it, things grind and creak and crack. Um, not everything works like it used to, quite so well. I have more than a passing interest in Viagra, I think it's like that. No, I did actually think it that, um, when I started on the meds. Because um, one of the things, well, actually, the doctor sa says, "Well, is it going to affect my libido?" He says, "No, not exactly. We'll come to that later." And he kept saying that. I says, well, "Come on, what is it? What's, what's the magic going to do?" He says, "Well, it's not so much that it affects your libido, but or your interest in it. But what it will do is it makes it harder to get there at the end. Fucking hell, hard enough anyway. <laughs> Tantric. Yeah. I mean, it's not fair, is it? Life ain't fair." That, when you realise how precious and amazing life is and what's available to you, you're old. Or you're getting there, you know. Half fucking century. I'm on the downhill slope to death now. And I saw my... Oh, this is really grim, isn't it? I saw my dad in the hospital. And I thought, that's me in 40 years. Having some fucking 25-year-old nurse cleaning between your septic toes. Great. It's not fair. We should be born old and get younger. So by the time you've got all the experience and joy of life, you're... You're in an 18-year-old's body. I'd love you in an 18-year-old's body, I would. <laughs> long as long as she was tight and good-looking. But no, seriously, you're and you are responsible for yourself. And people want to be looked after. That's why I think, I think religion is so, um, so powerful. I think it's why so many people are socialists. They want someone else out there, that in their case, the, probably the government, to do something about the things that piss them off or they don't like. Not understanding that governments never fix anything. Government, like religion, spoils everything. Um, and you are responsible for yourself. Now... That is really, I mentioned it earlier about responsibility for everything that happens to you. It's actually a very deep and profound thing. I know it sounds quite shallow, or not shallow, it sounds very simple. And it won't make a difference in your life. But I'm telling you, it really will. Because it would also help you with other, your relationships with other people. Because one of the most frustrating things in life is other people. People you care about, particularly, you want to do a certain thing, and they just won't. Children, wives, spouses... Lovers, even friends. 
and people get angry about other people's behaviour because they just don't like it. You know? They'll get angry about your opinions. And that's, this comes down to fundamental lack of responsibility. Now, this is a fucking deep rabbit hole. I did an entire day's seminar on this, Big Five O. Responsibility, libertarianism, self-determination. I'd suggest that everybody who's been, anyone who's been in the elite for a certain time is libertarian-leaning, more so than they were. I know Drew is. Um, and Michelle and Kat have certainly become that way in the last three, four years, even if you weren't before. I think they had leanings that way anyway, because otherwise they wouldn't have been around me. No. But it's the self-responsibility, self-determination is the only logical conclusion when you start thinking about these things. It is a rabbit hole. And you, you've got to understand that you, you are responsible for everything that you do. I, the stuff about you're responsible for everything that happens to you is not true. Yeah? Despite what some people believe that you can attract meteorites with your negative thoughts. Collectively. Collectively. I mean, how the fuck do you even come out with something as stupid as that? Despite the people who believe that, um, you know, some things you can't help. Some things, just, you know, if you're in an aeroplane that crashes, yeah, you have the choice of getting on the aeroplane, but you don't expect it to crash. Or if a plane lands on your building, there's nothing you can do about it. So you don't, you're not responsible for everything that happens to you. Um, you know, you don't bring it on yourself. But most things you do, probably. You know, if you're not happy with your life, because you're living in the wrong place, living in the wrong, with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, that is your choice. And it was, I think it was Harry Brown, there's a really good book, take a note of this. It's very expensive. It's not for everyone. I've got a few copies if you want to buy one. No, you can buy it, I think you can buy, a, uh, buy it as a PDF and print it from harrybrown.com. It's Harry Brown with, a, Brown with an E. But it's um, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. He, Harry Brown was a quintessentially a libertarian. And I think it's in that book. It may be him, it may be Robert Ringer, who's another libertarian, but he's a bit weird. He's a bit of a creationist. He actually said that evolution is only a theory, which tells me lots about him. <laughs> Not least that he doesn't know what a theory is. You know, a theory is just a wacky idea. It's a well-supported body of knowledge in science. Um, he said, well, anyway, whoever it was, one of those two, said... Um, there is, no matter what situation, I'm sure it's Harry Brown, whatever situation you're in, there is always a way out. It's just whether you're willing to pay the price. So people who say, and I, um, you know, they're married, they're unhappy, can't get out of the marriage, why not? Oh, can't afford to. Oh, they, they can, they just don't want to. I'm not making light of it because I know how fucking difficult divorce is. I don't know if you're divorced or if you've got, you know, you don't have much money, you don't work yourself, you've got young kids, an abusive husband or whatever. It must be fucking frightening. But you still stay there by consent. You know? And I, w I wouldn't, I've never said that women like that like it because they, they can't. But they're not taking responsibility for themselves. I'm not saying it's easy, don't get me wrong. But there is always, no matter how unhappy you are, how miserable your life is, there is always a way out. The only time there isn't, I guess, is if, if you've got a serious debilitating illness that's killing you. There's no cure. I think Stephen Hawking's got a Fitbit, counts his steps. I may laugh a few years ago, he apparently ran away with his nurse. Well, she kind of actually wheeled him away, but he did. He left his wife for his nurse. Very clever guy. But anyway, this is, this is fundamental. It's, I've not put any notes on it because it's self-evident to me. And it's such a big... Well, I am writing a book about it, anyway, slowly. Well, your life is so crap. I'm writing another, another book that Vicky's prompting. 
and something like that, and, and you Buchanan. Hey? No, this is going to be. This, no, no, this will be out very, very soon. Because it will be largely taken from my emails. It's, gonna, it's just called Fuck My Life. It's about my, my life as an Aspie in the last three months. Um, <laughs> my intention. Well, and the thing is, I'm not doing. I'm, I've had this conversation with people. And someone says I shouldn't bother doing it because loads of people have done it already. Well, no one's written a book like mine. I'll guarantee that. But I'm, I'm also not doing it because I want to be of service to the Asperger's community. I'm not doing it at all. I'm doing it for myself. It may be useful but the, for them, but the most important thing, it would be useful for me and my business. I am self-serving. Now, when I say, my, again, this is, this is all to do with this principle number three. I, I'm quite open in my emails about being self-serving. I always look out for number one. But I also realise that by doing that, well, the best way to do that is to look out for my clients. So you never hear me say, I want you to have this because it'll help your business. I want you to have it because it'll help make me money. But I also know that I can't do that reliably and repeatedly if I sell you shit. This comes back to selling more stuff to people. So it is, you know, it is relevant. Integrity, that's what I've got. I had a joke about that, I can't remember what it was. I haven't told my other joke yet, have I? No, I always tell this one. I went to the doctor when I went and showed Tom to go about my... Um, panic attacks. I sat down and, and I, I says, I, I keep thinking I'm Tom Jones. He says, it's not unusual. <laughs> so even Alex is laughing at that one. Are you enjoying it so far, Alex? Good. Remember, price increases don't work in video. Um, but yeah, this being responsible for yourself is, is and allowing others to be responsible for themselves the, the, is the flip side of that. Because you'll find often clients and customers will come to you, and this, this, this is about pricing as well. They'll come to you with a problem, I can't afford it. Well, that's, then you, that's them giving them your problem. Sorry, that's them giving you their problem. Yeah? I, I don't have enough money, that's too expensive. Well, why are they telling you that? Because they want you to cut your price. Otherwise, there's no point in them telling you. you know, there's no purpose in them telling you other than the fact they want you to cut your price. Well, they're, they're, they are then trying to give you their problem. And the correct response to that, <laughs> well, either you can just say, oh, that's the price, hard luck. But the problem, that, but a good answer to it is, well, the problem isn't that it's expensive, it's that you can't afford it. Because that really winds them up. But that passes the problem back to them, which is where it belongs. It was Shell Rose Charvet, the NLP girl, who actually does some great stuff with, the, um, with language, who says the best way to treat a banana skin when it's thrown to you, which is what this is, is to throw it back because they try and trip you up with it. It's like when people, I mean, you probably get this a lot to share with your, your extended family. Can you just have the children for us for the weekend? That kind of thing. Um, people And school stuff, people try and rope you in. I've got this really, really busy schedule on, and I'm not quite sure how to do it. And they're then passing you their problem. They want you to volunteer. And the answer to that is with the banana skin is to say, well, that sounds like you're going to have a really busy time. Just let me know how it goes, won't you? Um, people do it with me when they're, <laughs> a certain person pissed me off because um, I've given him loads of free advice over the years, and he pissed me off um, by charging my wife a stupidly small amount of money for something. So from that point on, whenever he asked me a business-related question, and he said, oh, it's really bad, I can't do this, I would say, yeah, that sounds really bad. <laughs> I would just acknowledge what he said and move on, I wouldn't give him any free advice. Um, yeah, so that is, they are the fundamentals. We can now have a little break where we can point Percy at the porcelain. 
siphon the python, or the girls can go for a quick crouch. Ten minute break, and then we start again. We should be doing. Actually, we should have a we should have a break. Yes, I'll go and chase that up. I think it'll be coming at eleven. We got any questions? You were so busy drawing it, you didn't listen to me. The island of happiness is, um, what Richard Koch was saying is, you have a very small number of things in your life that make you really happy. That, you, know, you, you, you can imagine the 80 to 20 thing, you, you, extreme happiness might be having a great day out with the kids, um, going out for a meal. But you, they're things that are fairly infrequent. And they are your islands of happiness that you visit. And what I think his point was, that we don't visit them anywhere near enough. If you have these small number of things that you really enjoy doing, the obvious question, why do you do more of it? Okay, you might get bored and stuff, but... Which, is, which actually does happen. I, mean, I remember when I was a doorman, um, and well, actually, after that, I was, my, I was single. So I, I was back on the dating scene. I went out every Friday and Saturday night, or every other Friday and Saturday night, because I had the kids at the other one. And I went out on the pull. And it was dead easy because of my old dormant stuff. And I got bored of that. So my, my hap happiness islands at that point um, got to be quite tiresome. No challenges, no point doing it, is there? It's great stuff through Hypnol. <laughs>